0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everyone, I'm Carl Anker and welcome
1: to Talk of the Devils live on Twitter. This is a special edition. Wow, that was a lot of news last night, wasn't it, Laurie? A lot of news. Uh, to help me make sense of everything that has occurred in regards to the collapse of the Super League, Wood's departure, what that could mean for the Manchester United and what, how it could possibly affect the long-term plans of the Glazer family and Manchester United. I'm joined as ever by my Talk of the Devils co-host uh, Laurie Wittwell and Andy Mitten. Laurie, how are you doing?
2: I'm good, Carl. Yeah, refreshed. Got loads of sleep last night, so ready to go at this and try and uh, get through all the questions that listeners have got and, and try and shed some light on the developments. I was joking by the sleep, by the way. (laughs) Andy, how has the last 24 hours been for you?
3: Better after seeing your jumper, Carl, but it's been an (laughs) absolutely mad one. And sometimes when you do the job that we do, Manchester United at times, I know they're not the only club involved in this story, but just been a huge huge story and a really fast moving story as well i wouldn't say it's over and done with but it's it, it the super league idea seems to have collapsed and it only started on sunday um what is it like as a journalist your phone rings non-stop you get messages non-stop you're trying to do your job you're trying to find out what's happening to tell the truth there's different versions of the truth and you know it's long hours and we would not be in this job doing what we do if we didn't love it but also it's our passion as well and I was really concerned about this idea, as we spoke about on the podcast yesterday, but a lot has happened since then, so I suppose we're going to talk about, about it now.
1: Yeah, let's get into it. Um, welcome to new viewers who've just logged in. We are doing a live Talk of Devils episode today. We're talk, It's a European Super League special. We're going to cover Manchester United specifically, and we're going to go into a chaotic few days at Old Trafford, how the Super League collapsed, um, the resignation of Edward and what happens next. So... The Super League is no more. Uh, Dominic Fifield and a number of other athletic journalists wrote a piece quite late in the afternoon as events were ongoing, as multiple English clubs within the top six or the the six founder members of this 12-club Super League slowly decided to uh, take their ball and go somewhere else, probably back to the Premier League. Laurie, you were working well into the night and into the early morning. What exactly happened here?
2: I think the... Clubs reacted to the incredible uh, groundswell of opinion and the uh, collection of various forces that came at this thing um, from all levels of society. Um, I think probably the most visceral um, image was Chelsea fans outside Stamford Bridge um, protesting, blocking the team bus. It was quite remarkable, really, seeing the level of uh, ferocity towards this. And, you know, I think. Fair play to those fans for going out. Obviously, you know, uh, the social distancing was forgotten about. But I think uh, in this situation, you can understand the kind of emotion attached to it incredible scenes of Peter check going in there and um, trying to calm them down trying to open the gates so that the team bus could actually get in just remarkable really and, and that was the moment really when I thought that this isn't going to happen you know the the, the level of animosity okay we had Boris Johnson earlier in the day he spoke to fan groups um, must Manchester United Sports Trust was one of those groups where he said that he would drop a legislative bomb uh, on these plans, which we know Boris Johnson uh, is very colourful with his words and his language, uh, does he always follow through with his his threats? You know, I think you can uh, leave that one open to debate without getting too political. But um, the idea that he was so strong against this was something that I'm not sure whether or not he could actually enacted. You know, uh, what his threat was. I don't think they actually anticipated that. And, and for sure you 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 hear um I, I heard stuff from, from Manchester City's point of view where their owners, Abu Dhabi, just thought that it wasn't worth the hassle, you know, they, they, you know, of going into war with the British government, um, however it might shake down. And they were, I think, the first club really to get cold feet on it and pull out Chelsea were a similar um viewpoint. The fact that those are two clubs that were um, you know, sort of the last two on the train is what the, the briefing was sort of behind the scenes. Um, I'm not sure I buy into that argument. They didn't need to get on the train. It would have left and it would have looked a very empty train without them. Um, but nevertheless, they have the, you know, they're, they're sovereign, you know, sovereign state and an oligarch. So they have the financial backing to step away from this because, you know, I'm led to believe there is financial um, penalties for not going through with this um uh, or at least there are financial consequences for not going through with this. So they, you know, uh, were more, I suppose, easily persuaded by the, the swell of opinion. But you had, you know, the players, Jordan Henderson as a, as a captain, um, you know, calling other Premier League captains trying to get something mobilised there, which was to, was going to happen today. Um, you know, that hasn't needed to happen now. Um uh, you know then we you start to hear stories about Manchester United players themselves having um you know strong conversations with Ed Woodward over Zoom on a day off um not all of them but you know a, a good core of them um you know asking him questions about what this actually meant for them um, and, and going deeper than that, really, not not only themselves, but you know, they, they a lot of these players have played at clubs up and down the pyramid. So ones that aren't going to be protected by this Super League, you know, where it's all fantastic and everything's protected behind a guarded gate, they had genuine concerns about clubs that they'd perhaps played at previously or, or gone on loan to. Um, so I think that that took everyone by surprise from the owners' point of view. Uh, and they they wilted, and as soon as you as soon as one went, they were all going to go because you can't have a Super League, you know, with, with a, a team pulling out within forty eight hours and then sticking to it. I mean, I know uh, Agnelli at Juventus is still trying to bang that drum. I don't think he'll ever give that one up, um, but he looks like a, a lonely soul right now. And listen, I don't think this is the end of things because clearly these owners, uh, you know, want to do this. And, and you look at the Tottenham Hotspur statement from Daniel Levy, you know, he, he expresses regret, but he doesn't say that, okay, this is it. And and, and certainly that was the vibe um, from, from, from some people close to Tottenham that I was getting. Um, but I, I think the most, the biggest takeaway was that I am just amazed that they let this vacuum appear after announcing something, if you're so proud of it, go out and tell people why it's better than the Champions League format, which, let's let's have it right, isn't ideal. You know, you're looking at that thinking it's not too dissimilar, apart from, obviously, it's not a guarantee of places. So, you know, you've at least got some merit to to, to getting into the competition. Um, but the, the fact that they just dropped this on a Sunday and, you know, you had Gary Neville on Sky Sports absolutely eviscerating them within the hour, um, Sir Alex Ferguson, I think, you know, in hindsight, that was a really profound moment where he went against it before it was even officially announced. That kind of gave the green light to, to people to, to follow course and uh and within that it just you know it swelled, didn't it? There was nobody making the case for this super league to be a, a kind of a, a different entity that actually had maybe some good points to it, uh and and it's wilted away. Um, which, you know, and then I think we'll we'll get on to Ed Woodward a bit, won't we, Andy and Carl? But I think that is another aspect to it where, you know, he, he felt he had to go. I wanna get Andy's perspective on
1: this because you're based in Barcelona at the moment. So not only are you seeing what English clubs are doing, but you're also getting a flavour for the Spanish clubs that are also supposed to be in the Super League. How's the last 24 hours been for you? And Italian clubs as well. I was in Milan a few weeks ago
3: to cover Manchester United and I spoke to some of my contacts there and I was a bit disappointed when they got back to me yesterday and said, we're not that bothered. Things have been that up and down at this club. And I thought, oh, okay. And then in Spain, there certainly wasn't the fevered reaction that you've, had in England from fans of English clubs right across the board which I think was really pleasing and I'd I'd done some stuff with a couple of Liverpool fans and we were basically saying exactly the same thing and it's not often that Manchester United and Liverpool fans could be a a United voice and I'm glad that it was because sometimes you've got to do things for the greater good. It wasn't just fans. Now, English fans have come out of this smelling of roses on the front pages of all the Spanish newspapers today, which makes a change from being referred to as hooligans because the Spanish media still think that every fan of every English football club is a hooligan. They don't realise that a hooligan is someone who fights at football matches. They just think, ah, oh, they're all hooligans. But I think that the the rejection to the plans from all the stakeholders in football, uh, the fans, the former players, Gary Neville obviously spoke very well immediately and fill that vacuum along with a lot of other people. Government intervention, I think the point about um, City not being bothered, I think that would be a major problem to the Glazers as well. Suddenly, if you've got to come up against legislation, and I spoke to people yesterday morning who know far, far more than I do um, about legislation and, and the higher workings of government and they just said, very tricky to change legislation on something like this. But within an hour, Boris Johnson was doing a Zoom call with, with the Manchester United supporters trust saying, we need to bring legislation in now. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, of course action will speak louder than words. And yes, it, it, it is populist and yes, it is political. But then then so is football. And everyone was just coming out. And this this wave grew and grew. I think the Rebel Club's, felt that there would be opposition. There's opposition to everything in football, especially from fans. A lot of the time with good reason. Fans don't like change. They're suspicious of change. They don't trust the owners of the club. They don't trust the authorities. But it grew and it grew and it grew. And quite rightly, and people were picking apart the arguments, whichever arguments they, they didn't like from the proposed structure, from the clubs left on the fringes. And the other clubs, clubs like Everton, came out giving really emotive uh, statements, and it just added to this wave, which grew and grew and grew. And as Laurie said, when a thousand Chelsea fans turned up, and Chelsea not are not normally the most militant fan base. And I've got a lot of old school um, Chelsea fans, but they're not normally the ones first on the streets. You might have expected that in Manchester or in Liverpool, but on Fulham Broadway, a thousand of them turned up. You know, very close to the TV studios and you're thinking this is happening, it's happening now. And the only person coming out and sticking up for the idea is a 74 year old man in Madrid on television saying, yeah, but the young, the young people want to see shorter football matches and and a few people buying that um, in Spain, but you know, Perez can't, can only speak Spanish. You know, if you're going to get this across, you need to be doing it in multiple languages and it didn't have a chance. And I'm glad that it's been shot down. I'm glad that we've started uh, collapsing quicker than, a, than an iceberg in the summer. And that it's just falling apart because it wasn't a force for good. It was motivated by greed, greed only, money. I know that there are a couple of people in United trying to put across the club's perspective, but too little too late. The club, were, The club were caught out. And in some ways, I'm glad they were caught out because I'm glad that this is not going to happen. And as Laurie said, UEFA are not the panacea. There are massive structural problems. It makes me laugh when UEFA say that they're a friend of the fan and then do absolutely nothing when Barcelona charge 120 euros for the worst seats in the ground for visiting Manchester United fans. And as your tweet said, Carl, there is great scope for reform in football, for governance, for legislation to change that, for greater involvement in the fans. And there's been some good moves as well. You know, we've got away games now and the the limit on tickets is £30. I think that's genuine progress. It's easy Mm -hmm. to be cynical about everything, but there has been some progress, but there needs to be a lot more on a a greater level, especially with the governance of clubs. The Glazer takeover should never have been allowed to have happened in 2005. Those highly leveraged takeovers are dangerous. The problem now you've got is the owners are more powerful than the people who are governing them. So when Manchester City... A um, fined and actions taken against them for alleged uh, irregularities with financial fair play. They've got the wherewithal to hire the best lawyers in the world to come back and push back against that and get the result which they're happy with.
1: We will get onto to the ownership in a little bit. I'm joined by Laurie and Andy Minton. We're talking about what happened over the last 24 hours, what might happen to Manchester United. Ed Woodward has resigned and possibly what could the future of football look like? Um, I would recommend readers to go to The Athletic, check out a new piece from Dominic Fifield and a number of our journalists about how the Super League collapsed. I would also suggest a brand new piece done by Adam Crafton about essentially how the Super League gambled very, very hard that they could push through fan apathy and could retain stakeholders. But they lost every single stakeholder possible. And now we are going to enter an interesting new state of football. One that will not have Ed Woodward as the chief executive of Manchester United. Laurie, that was another grenade into uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, yesterday evening's uh, events. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Obviously I was tra- working on one piece uh, mainly, you know, how this was all sort of collapsing and, and uh, within that um, it was sort of in the afternoon and someone said to me, you know, I, I think, I think Edward would might resign over this. And an agent, even on the, on the Monday had said, if this doesn't happen, how does he continue um, because of, the way that there'd been secrecy uh, from both the ownership, even within um, the structure of the club. So, you know, I think the first email that actually went around internally at the club to staff was to say, we're pulling out of the Super League. You know, there was no kind of, you know, uh, big debrief to to staff, you know, anything like that. Um, And also then to the players, the secrecy and the manager. So there's a, a level of mistrust there between all these really important factors. And then aside from that, um, you know, the, the 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 venom that was pouring out of um, executive counterparts at other Premier League um, clubs that became very apparent in the Premier League meeting yesterday and w- was being spoken about beforehand privately, you know, by these clubs. Um, they felt betrayed, they felt lied to, um, they felt Edward had been a ringleader for these kind of changes coming in. And they were determined that if United came back, to the Premier League uh, as they expected they would do that they wanted punishment and they wanted punishment against individuals and it would have just been a very very difficult situation for Edward Wood to go back into um, now as Andy's alluded to I think we'll get we'll get onto it you hear different competing stories you know one aspect that has emerged um one version is that that edward wood didn't really support the super league um proposal you know and he did give uefa his um his word in good faith that he'd signed up to their reforms which andrea agnelli uh so pushed through Sorry, so Seferin, the uh the uefa president you know called him out in strong terms you know he, he called him a snake you know it's not a any i mean he then clarified it a little bit later in a CNN interview with with Darren Lewis who's a really good interview and he he sort of explained it as well you know maybe that was a bit strong but listen it you know snakes are people that we don't expect you know they, they come out and they bite you when when you least expect it you know that's sort of hiding and and that's how the perception of, of what Ed Woodward had done was, was amongst his peers. And so how do you then go back to the negotiation table and sit around a boardroom and try and come to some collaboration on behind-closed-doors matches or, or anything you know that's perhaps more trivial than such a, a macro um, issue such as this?
3: Ed's fallen on his sword. It's, it's as simple as that. His position became untenable. He was perceived to be a leading light in this breakaway. Uh, he shattered the trust which he had with UEFA, which led to Seferin coming out and calling him a snake. I mean, it's unheard of to, to hear words like that said in public, even if people might think it privately, but to come out and say it public. And I think UEFA took a very hard line, which also added to, to the pressure and started to uh, see cracks develop among the, the breakaway clubs. I think Edward to stay would be almost impossible for him because the trust has been shattered. You saw the reaction from the Premier League clubs. You saw the reaction from UEFA. What about the rival clubs? So you can't go in after that and be all sweetness and nice. There has to be a change. And the next person who comes in at Manchester United has to say, yeah, I'm I'm sorry about that. We want to work together uh, for the greater good. And the other Premier League teams, they do want Manchester United and Liverpool there. They don't want to lose them. So they also want to work together. And the worry is that this argument keeps resurfacing every three to four years, and that subsequent breakaway plans are where they think, right, we need to learn what we did wrong there, and then it's got half a chance. Because I looked at the piece in the Financial Times yesterday. There are not there are some ideas in there where you think that's sensible um, in terms of of salary caps or just you know the tax rate in Spain is far higher, for example, than than in the UK. So you could argue that players in the UK have got an advantage over players in, in other countries. I'm not for all this franchise system. I absolutely despise the idea of the permanence. It's never been in, in football. And, and I joked last night that City and Chelsea have gone, but, but it's okay because Derby County and Wolves are going to join and Manchester United can play, play them every single season. And I was, I was just joking because we keep drawing those two teams in domestic <laughs> cup competitions. But you know, when I thought about it, I thought Wolverhampton were actually regarded as the best team in the world in the 1950s. Derby County won the league two more times in the 1970s than Manchester United or Chelsea or Manchester City, obviously Tottenham because they don't win any, anything. And that just shows how there's no permanence in football and that's what makes football great. That the, There is this snakes and ladders in football. It's why we love and get enthralled by these stories that it's happening there in front of our eyes that you know, great clubs like Sunderland can tumble or it's seen as a disaster when Manchester United are eighth in the table. It's this live soap opera going on in front of us. And I think that's all stripped away if there's guarantees that you know United could have joined that league and fielded a load of 15-year-olds and finished bottom every year and still taking the money. Clearly, they wouldn't have done that. But as Pep Guardiola rightly said, and when he came out and spoke against it, I thought, here's another really strong voice. Because um, we talked yesterday about Jurgen Klopp, he wasn't so strong, and I think a lot of people were interested to see whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would come out strongly against it in his press conference on Friday. Well, he, he that that the, the narrative has now shifted because it's not going to happen.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
4: Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human and customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: I think one thing that was interesting on Tuesday was Pep Guardiola's quotes were being tweeted from the official Manchester City account. So you had Manchester City having more correspondence denouncing the Super League and the lack of competition than they have in favor of the Super League. I want to direct any viewers and subscribers to The Athletic to a new column from Daniel Taylor where he simply says failure would be Ed Woodward's legacy. Laurie, you've also written a piece. You managed to find an extra bit of time to write a piece for, that says, uh, it carries a quote from a recent Manchester United player that says, Woodward is a great marketing man but terrible at football. He's always been a controversial figure at Manchester United. One of the big terms used against him was he's not a quote-unquote football man. That's a big... Big
2: void at Manchester United left. What do you think happens next? United might say that they, uh, it was planned and they, they just brought the announcement forward. You know, there's no way. Uh, uh, resignation happens 48 hours after the European Super League and the European Super League isn't a factor in it. It's basically the definitive factor. Um, so I, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, suggestion of a, a plan in place, you know, a, a kind of, um, any kind of appointment ready to go. Um, so it's a bit of a, a question as to, yeah, as to what happens next. I mean, you know, they, they say that, um, Edward Wood will work until the end of 2021, which is a bit odd, I suppose, uh, not doing it at the end of a season or even right now. I mean, there's some people that are saying to me, why would you stay around? Why can you even stay around? What, how will that? manifest itself in your working patterns, you know, you know, you go in and and you've got all this, you know, turmoil that's been created by, you know, something that you've been a part of, how how can you actually uh, stay on? So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I guess from United's perspective, they will say that that is a way to ensure a smooth transition for whoever next gets the job. And I suppose I'd only be speculating, but my gut would be that they would, you know, perhaps appoint internally, um, you know, someone that they trust. You know, Ed Woodward was their guy from the banking world. He was the one who managed to find the way, find the numbers that made their leverage takeover of Manchester United work at J.P. Morgan. I don't think he was, I think he was, you know, an employee at J.P. Morgan who they, no one thought he, you know, it kind of gave him this task in a way that wasn't really, you know, perceived as being doable, you know, feasible, and, and he managed to do it. It's not like he was some high-flying executive, and they poached him from there. So they've grown, he's grown with them, and you know, he's got their trust absolutely. Um, and I think they would go for someone, you know, with a similar. Il- Richard Arnold is is the one in my mind that you know has the same commercial credentials as Ed Woodward probably more so I think he's probably driven the commercial expansion of Manchester United more than Ed Woodward um, with some of the deals that he's made Um, and he is you know quite a big personality quite um, a person that demands quite a lot when you speak to people that have worked with him previously Um, he doesn't have a football background he is a rugby fan um, which is you know something that Ed Woodward I think mainly grew up supporting Um, so you know but that I don't think that would be a factor for them because Manchester United's commercial revenue is such a a large stream of the business. So, you know, why not get the guy who's got the most expertise in commercial to to kind of run that club? And you look at then the John Murta situation. He is someone who was very trusted by Edward Wood, you know, therefore Joel Glazer, you've got that lineage there. He's more on the football side of things. He was appointed just before all this happened. You sort of look back at that set of appointments and think, I wonder if Edward Wood knew this Super League thing was 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 coming and, and it, it could end in tears and maybe he wanted to get something positioned in just as a bit of an insurance policy Um, in advance. Um, we'll, we'll see in time, I suppose. Um, Cliff Beatty is another name. Um, he's the chief financial operator. He's, he's on the investor calls, just as Edward Wood and Richard Arnold are. So he he knows um, the club inside out. He's a, a Newcastle fan. You know, he's a... And proper Geordie, I'm led to believe. So, you know, he, he understands, you know, th- this kind of thing about football guy, I suppose, is a, an easy thing to target at people. You know, I'm not necessarily sure that you have to be someone that's, you know, grown up supporting the club to be in the higher echelons. But for sure, I think if you look back at Ed Woodward's time, a lot of what he did was learning on the job and, and you felt he was quite starry-eyed in moments. He made a lot of mistakes in terms of contracts that he handed out. Maybe by now he's, he's got to a point where he's, he's comfortable, he understands the dynamic and, and you know, you've know you seen that with recruitment seems to be okay. Although I suppose you could look at the David De Gea contract as uh, you know, a bit of a Perhaps a bit of a misstep, although the cost that it would have taken to, to buy a new goalkeeper at that at that moment, when you couldn't necessarily rely on you know, Dean Henderson, you know, they didn't know that he was going to emerge into this kind of role. Um, you know, you can you can understand the the, the, the sort of different pressures there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was I think it was a bit of a shock that it actually happened. You know, that he actually said, "Right, I'm going." I think there's there's a certain um, you know, I, I suppose there's a certain correctness about that, that that aspect, given the the uproar that this has all caused. Um, but yeah, it was a very late session last night. You know, it's it's one of those where you sort of work all day thinking, is this, is this really? True? I, I dismissed it. You know, when you first hear that suggestion, you sort of dismissed it and think, why would he resign? He's, he's the Glazers guy. You know, he's he's not going anywhere. He's 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 the one that's 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 you know that's leading this, if anything. But as Andy mentioned there, when Pep speaks out against it i mean and and man city kind of get behind that you're thinking this could crumble and and that obviously then made more sense and you know the 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 kind of confirmation comes later in the evening and they had to wait for the new york stock exchange to officially announce it which is obviously something that always grates united fans yeah and this and the stock price you know the stock price that had gone up after this announcement happened then plummets um And again, that's something to consider, you know, Avram Glazer sold his shares um, last month, you know, um, sort of 80 odd million pounds worth, you know, you sort of wonder where his thinking was with that move, you know, um, in hindsight. Um, So, yeah, lots of questions. I mean, people have have asked, I think we've got a question um, from, from, from one of the listeners about... Who who next? Um, could it be an external appointment? Um, I mean, Ed, Edwin van der Sar is is what Hampus um, has asked on Twitter. I, I mean, listen, I, I'd I'd love Edwin van der Sar to to, to come um, and work for Manchester United because I think he is a smart, erudite guy who understands football, but also understands the business of football, and um, and clearly, you know, he has relationships with Manchester United. Matt Judge um, through the uh, negotiations for Donny van der last summer. Um, but I, I just, I, I would be surprised if that's the route they went down just because I feel like it would be someone that they know and trust and, and, you know, have basically control over. What do you think Andy?
3: Just Some of the names you mentioned and the points you mentioned, I mean, you, you mentioned Richard Arnold being a rugby fan. I think it's important to point out rugby league fan. rather. Oh, sorry. Than right? And there's a huge difference from going to watch Witness with your dad as he did, as, as opposed to going to Bath Rugby or going to the, the stoop or wherever Harlequins Oi. or these, these I'm a Bath Rugby fan. And it's an absolutely wonderful city and I'm sure watching Bath Rugby is fine, but Richard definitely didn't do that. I mean, Richard's not a football man. He's a, he's a commercial man. He's a hard negotiator. Um, you definitely need people at the club to bring the money in even when United were floundering on the pitch and recruiting badly, they remained commercial trailblazers. And I'd speak to people at clubs like Barca and Madrid and they're like, yeah, we're winning absolutely everything. We're winning the European Cup, the Champions League, but we're still copying all Man United's ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we do the sponsorship. And I think you need football brains in there because as you said, Ed learned a lot on the job. and you know, United made a lot of mistakes. The, the the youth system, which the club is famous for, was left to rot. I remember writing a scathing article about it in 2015, and, and I'm glad that I did do. And when I saw in the quotes um, about Ed leaving, you know, we've got the youth system back on track, I'm thinking, yeah, but you were also partly responsible for it falling off track by being complacent and United being arrogant and thinking you could, get the best young kids just because it was Manchester United. The reality was the facilities were better at other clubs. The money was better at other clubs and the background was better at other clubs. So I'm glad United have now got the youth system uh, back on track. Do the appoint internally um, or externally. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think the decision um, uh, has been made there. Uh, Cliff's a proper football fan. I know he's read United We Stand for years, as you say. But again, I don't think you need to have gone to matches home and away just just to be good at your job at the top of a football club. But I think it does help to understand football fans. And Edward Wood talked about the importance of communicating with fans and then flew in the face of that when this came out and nobody had a clue of it. I mean, there was a fans forum meeting on Friday and none of the people there, and I've spoke to them, got told anything. So there might be apologies um, subsequently. Yeah, I'm sorry, we couldn't say anything about that. And obviously, you wouldn't expect fans to be leaked a story as, as big as this. It would come through, through other, other channels. And there's been a lot of progress with the communication between fans and, and Manchester United. There's a lot of good people at the club as well. The United did a lot of good things right in lockdown, especially compared to other clubs. You know, they didn't furlough the staff. They were well aware of the importance of the club in the community. There was a good dialogue with, with supporters. But this is the big job. And, and how did the people on the football side, because it was just feeling like the football side was getting right. You know, they're doing well. United are doing well. Oli's doing a decent job. I think Darren Fletcher is absolutely an, an, an addition there. Um, John Murtis started the job. Let's see how he does. But I think it's getting on track. Now, clearly, they need to be back. There needs to be money. United need to strengthen in the summer. It's all right being second. United want to be first. You've got to be bringing in top, top-class players. It's all right saying that there's a, an 18-year-old who's really promising for now. I know that there's concern that some of them players might not be ready for three or four or five years if they're ready at all. There's no guarantees. Whereas you've got a Haaland who's ready now. So United need to recruit well. Appoint the right man to replace Edward Ed Wood. As Laurie said, I'd be surprised now if he stayed until the end of the year. It just seems so odd if he's there at the end of November making key decisions when everybody knows that he's going. And he's fallen he's fallen on his sword. It, it, it is as simple as that.
1: Laurie, about a month ago, you drew up a fantastic family tree about the setup of New Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. How John Mota would uh, feed in with Darren Fletcher and how that is the setup of Manchester United. Now Edward has been removed. We are getting questions from our listeners and our subscribers on The Athletic asking, could anything change... Above Edward Wood's level, what happens next for Manchester United and their relationship with the Glazer family? You've been reporting for the last 15 hours or so. Is there any inkling one way or the other in terms of Manchester United club ownership right now?
2: Well, Andy's nodding furiously, so I will give it over to him fairly soon if he knows more than me. But I just quite, I find it quite funny that I did this. Well, I think it was your idea, wasn't it, Carl, to do this family tree, and then the graphics guys that we've got have gone away and done it. And within two weeks, it was wrong because Nikki Butt had left, and now we've got Edward Wood, you know, debating that, and 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 you know, this is there going to be some kind of restructuring? So it it didn't last long, did it? That family tree. <laughs> um, uh, and I mean, listen. Also, it probably is worth pointing out there was a little Instagram post from Nikki Butt last night with a glass of uh, just a glass of wine it. raised. <laughs> I laughed at both that. him I and mean, uh,
1: Gary Neville. Enjoying a little glass of vino yeah. at, the, at the news.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So listen, I suppose that's perfectly, uh, perfectly entitled to do so. Um, uh, yeah, in terms of you know, in terms of the owners, it, you know, the, the broader thing, I'll give it over to Andy in a second. But um, yeah, we, we, one of our sources, into my one of my colleagues. Um, who uh, he deals with the buying and selling of clubs said that he'd already got a couple of investors american investors you know so don't wince perhaps too much but um that they had come on to him and, and sort of were wondering would this shake the glazer's resolve because every time we've asked about glazer ownership and sales not interested you know there was some talk about saudi arabia you know we wrote at the time that there was only ever an indication that they might sell a percentage of that um and that was not what Saudi Arabia wanted, and obviously, you know, subsequently with their Newcastle United pursuit, um, that was obviously a a path fraught with difficulty anyway. But yeah, they've always been, you know, sort of committed, even with Avram Glazer's recent shares sales. He sold the class of shares that isn't worth, you know, a tenth of what. The, the main shares are, are worth and, and therefore the Glazers all hold, you know, absolute authority on controlling the club, you know, 70% um, so they, so yeah. And it, and it costs an awful lot of money. That's the other thing, you know, how much money I know the share price has gone down, but who has the money out there to go and buy this club um, outright or, or not? And maybe we'll get onto the government after um, Andy's point, but cause we, we've got a listener question, but yeah. Andy, you seem like you were keen to to answer Carl's question before.
3: I think the the question fans are asking is what about the Glazers now? What what happens? And I think I've been asking to people who who know far more than I do on this, and one of them said to me, "The Glazer upside plan has now vanished. This idea of this European Super League, this absolute golden pot at the end of the rainbow, and it has been a rainbow for them because they've taken a lot of money out of of Manchester United, that has now gone." The idea of noise putting them off, well, it it never has done before. They've weathered the storm of protest before, uh, most significantly in 2005 and 2010. I was also told if government get involved, that becomes a major issue. Suddenly they've got to go up against governance. So from the point of view of Abu Dhabi and Manchester City, not wanting to go into conflict with the UK government because they've got their soft power reasons, it's very very different from an American commercial perspective uh, because suddenly they see roadblocks ahead because British government wants to stymie um, the influence of of what is effectively a private public company. So these big American investors, they don't tend to go to Germany, for example, because they can't go to Germany. I know someone who looked at a major club in Germany recently, and they walked away because they'd basically be buying something they they felt that they, they couldn't control. Whether the Glazers? And they still have absolute control. They are the ones who would have to decide, do we want to sell this? Do we want to talk to people who might be interested? What if there is a plan B? Where does that plan B come in? Is it funded by by Qatar, Abu Dhabi, um, China? Is it anchored by Saudi Arabia? Is that better than the current model? Is it better if a, uh, a venture capitalist comes in? Aren't they going to want exactly the same thing Stan Kroenke or or the family at, at Liverpool, um, Fenway Sports Group, they're not that different. They might have had more or less success, but they're not that different. I love the idea, and maybe I'm being idealistic, of a Manchester United owned by the fans. I think if there was shares given, there'd be a huge uptake, even if those shares were brought from the Glazers and there was genuine um, fan power. Even then, I've got my suspicions because I always saw the Barcelona model has been a panacea. And then I saw it close at hand and you have a problem with it, a major problem, and that's human beings and egos. So I'm very doubtful when people last year were saying Saudi, Saudi. I looked Ed Woodward in the eye and I asked him, when we're allowed to meet face-to-face, what about Saudi Arabia? And he dismissed it. And I think he was probably right there. I, think, I don't think he was lying to me. And I think there it, it was wishful thinking on behalf of some United fans that... Saudi would come in, but I don't like this benefactor model. Manchester United do not need a benefactor. Manchester United are big enough by themselves to fund themselves, to buy the best players in the world, to certainly be um, competitive. The problem comes when the the club is in debt, when you've got dividends being paid out and you've got an ownership which has, has never been popular, but they are still the owners. They still have control. They decide to walk away with their ball That's up to them. Now you sense that there is a momentum there. They may walk away from it. They make an absolute fortune if they did. So I think a lot of fans would just be like, good riddance. You've you've had your fun. You've made your money. Go away now. And there's lots of different factors in there, but I think it's still very, very tricky. Where would the money come from? You had a group of people gathered 10, 11 years ago. Um, some of them with serious, serious wealth. Not enough wealth to buy outright, Manchester United. We're talking three, four billion here. I think the Glaze paid, what, 600 million? Uh, but you would get people who, who would bring in considerable amounts of money, but you'd still then need uptake from others. I think that could easily come from the fans. I think if you said tomorrow uh, there's a share offering for Manchester United, um, where there's genuine power rather than diluted votes... You'd get massive global uptake it would be very very different from 1991 when the club share equation wasn't 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 taken i'm actually speaking to martin edwards tomorrow who was the man in charge not about the shares not about the super league about something completely different but (laughs) he was a man in charge at the time when united couldn't even sell the shares when they first went public
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone
1: Welcome to Talk of the Devils. We are live on Twitter. It's a Super League special. We've been discussing the last 24 hours at Manchester United, the end of the Super League, the resignation of Ed Woodward, and possibly what happens next with the Glazer family. I know, Laurie, you in 2020 did a really good piece that was adapted for a TIFO video on the Glazer family. And I think you discussed about essentially how much money it would take to get the Glazers to start talking. I think the number was something like 400 million, and then maybe they might start paying attention if memory serves 4 billion
2: i think is that 4000 is that 4000 i always get my n- notes confused <laughs> but i think 4 4 billion is kind of you know just a, a smooth it's you know a bit more than dr <laughs> Evil was originally asking for but um I, I don't know listen it's 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 how how long is a piece of string i suppose andy's alluded to Um, you know, something's worth what someone is willing to pay for it. The share price gives us an indication, um, but, you know, the Glazers have got this asset that will keep making money. So why would they sell it unless they're going to get more than what the the share price suggests it's worth? Um, So, yeah, I mean, we spoke to people in the the financial industry at the time to kind of ask that question. Andy's answered it really well in terms of where that could come from. Um, Could it be a collegiate effort? I mean, if the government, actually follow through and get involved. I don't know how they, I really, I struggle to believe how they could actually get involved now on something like this, you know, in terms of um, the, the Germany model, we, we did get a question on this, you know, the sort of 49 plus um, 51% um, from from John Morgan um, sort of model. Is it feasible? I, I'm kind of, yeah, of opinion that it, it just would take a lot of work. You know, we've had Brexit, we've had coronavirus, Do the government really really want to get involved in this and actually see it through. I know that Labour have also joined forces and are saying, this is a line in the sand. Keir Starmer said that, Andy Burnham said that. And, and you know, I think they are genuine w- when they say that, but, you know, actually doing it is a different different matter. So um, it'd be a wonderful sort of idea. And, and the fact that you've got, you know, Germany clubs um, having that kind of Relationship with their fans is great, but you know that you also look at that and think, is that a perfect model when you've got Bayern Munich absolutely dominating? You know that 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 top flight. So um, there's obviously issues with any kind of model, I suppose. But I guess all you'd want as a fan is that you are at least consulted, and it's not a case as we've had with this Super League where it has been. A load of guys, multi multi millionaire guys, getting together thinking this is what is good for you know us basically, and we can we think it could be good for the fans, you know, if we kind of squint our eyes a little bit and, and think of what you know. Um, you know, you wrote a great piece, didn't you, this week, Carl, on the kind of fans that they think they want to get. Um, and I think I suppose you mentioned something earlier, there, Andy, about uh, Ed Woodward's role, and I sort of thought also. It's kind of groupthink, isn't it? Where you've got these guys in a certain sphere of life thinking amongst themselves, thinking "This, this is great, this is fine not being able to permeate the bubble of, of, of you know the masses really and that's where someone like a, a strong chief executive goes to them and says actually I'm at a club day to day I know what my players and what my manager are thinking what the fans are thinking this will not wash and, and be strong in that and, and and say that and listen maybe Edward would didn't feel he could do that you know he's obviously um, you know been, been with them for a long long time he's earned, he's earned very well out of it so we, we shouldn't get the violins out you know he's, he's earned I think 20 million pounds you know in in wages so and fine you know he obviously was the one that managed to figure out how to to get the takeover over the line so um that's that's capitalism for you but um that was just one of my thoughts um and yeah i've i'd be fascinated to see i, I don't know what what do you think Carl? would you where do you fall on the ownership structures and, and what you might like to see i feel as if this
1: is the end of the super league and this is been remarkable for football fans so this season not only have they managed to reject the super league but they've also managed to reject pay-per-view football on the premier league that was attempted in november and december football fans have had two or three instances instances where we have we and i'm going to use the word we beyond manchester united but in general have collectively said no to an idea and then within months those who thought they could get money have folded and i there are many things that aren't perfect about football. We know football is not perfect. We know there are problems with the German model. We know there are problems with Barcelona's model. We know there are problems with UEFA and the Champions League. It's bizarre that, you know, this week that's happened, we, we, UEFA have just voted for the Swiss model, this NBA-style Champions League model that I said on the last episode of Talk of Devils, I think that's a big bag of nonsense. And you <laughs> can't, that can That was Edwin van idea, by the way. Yes. We know football has been run by a love of money rather than a love of football for a while. And I would hope that even though the Super League has ended, this could be the start of something. I think if any football fan is listening to these podcasts or enjoying our work on the athletic and what's happened and has had a moment and went, Oh, better things are possible. I hope they can push past the cynicism and say, We're back to the status quo. The status quo doesn't have to be the status quo. It wasn't the status quo in 1990. It wasn't the status quo in the 70s. It wasn't the status quo in the 50s. Things can change and things can change for the better if you want them to. And I think that should be the next topic of conversation for football fans, not just of Manchester United and how their relationship with the ownership or how they want to do take Manchester United forward, but for everyone in general, make the football that you want to see. I haven't checked Twitter in a while, but it seems like Juventus is the only team left. I think AC Milan has just announced they're they're dropping out as well. Um, So gentlemen, before we all wrap up, we do have one final question from Charith at United Chai, which says uh, United's involvement with the Super League surely must have burnt a lot of bridges with UEFA and the domestic league. Do you think this will have any ramifications for the future of the club? Bit of a tricky one. Everything could change by next week. Who wants to answer this one first?
2: Um, I suppose we've, we've touched on the difficulties with other Premier League clubs and you know, uh, you, know you imagine if they want to sign a, a player from another Premier League club is, is it Edward Wood making that call and saying can you um, you know what, what's your price for this player and then going well you know maybe I'll tell you this price but maybe I'll you know maybe it'll be another price later on you know <laughs> you, you can imagine some awkward conversations if that is the, you know the eventuality Dominic um, Lewin's never coming to Manchester United, <laughs> yeah <then>. the goalposts <laughs> just keep moving for that one I mean Everton were you know particularly Vocal, weren't they against this they were I think really fired up going into that meeting um, you know in terms of the the, the level of what they felt was a betrayal but um, uh, and then I think in terms of UEFA listen I think obviously United are a big enough club you know generally to you know They are needed. It's not like, you know, they're going to be some kind of um, pauper cast in the corner. Um, I think maybe could there be a bit more humility about things, about negotiations? I I would like to see that. I mean, listen, I'm obviously a Manchester United supporter who wants United to do well, but not at the expense of competition, not a a position where it's only, you know, United getting, you know, a a certain amount of money, you know, in in a closed shop. Um, uh, So, I mean, listen, I think also in terms of UEFA, um shows and, and as we've said they are certainly not saints in in all this you know we've had issues of corruption previously uh, and fifa you know so it's not like i can understand i think that's the one thing that i was surprised that they you know the, the, the super league didn't try and just push a bit you know it's sort of you know, we're, we're, we're you know, it's not against it's not like it's you know uh, the, the perfect system that we're, we're coming up against here um as you've alluded to with, with the swiss um you know, uh, format that they're, they're bringing in. I suppose I would look at that though and go um at least this now shows what UEFA were kind of fighting against in a way if they knew they had all these clubs that wanted even more this was a, an appeasement really this 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 system i don't think it was born of UEFA necessarily wanting even more money. I, I could be wrong but i think it was you know a way of negotiating to keep the these big sides still in the competition still within the walls um so at least that kind of exp- you know this, this whole super league thing exposes the pressures that UEFA were under really but you looked at seferin's statement yesterday, welcoming Man City back into the fold very quickly. Um, so that certainly hasn't, you know, no bridges seem to have been burnt there. I wonder what's going on behind the scenes in that one. You know, I imagine that ultimately that'll be the same case with Manchester United, particularly if, you know, as in his eyes, Edward with the guy that, is, um, that has lied to him is no longer there. So I, I wouldn't imagine there's any long, long lasting sort of damage, but clearly there's going to be some turbulation, you know, in the months to come.
1: They say the best apology is changed behaviour. Andy, do you think Manchester United might have some changed behaviour in the weeks to come?
3: You'd like to think so, but some damage has been done. Um, you mentioned Everton. Everton were right to be furious. Everton were one of the big five in the 1980s. Not Manchester City, not Chelsea, which shows that nothing is permanent in football. I think in terms of, of punishments now, I think I think it would be very fair now if the Premier League said to Manchester City, you're, you're docked eight points uh, to Manchester United you're not allowed fans in the Stretford end for your next home game I and mean, that would be uh, a punishment um, Liverpool I think they say you've suffered enough this season you're 13 points behind Manchester United Tottenham I mean t- <laughs> Tottenham won a trophy since what 1878 19- <laughs> 1961
1: is, is when I found out
4: which is and, uh, uh, an, Arsenal, ninth,
1: an Arsenal a ninth
3: an Arsenal a ninth so you know Dave, not had. so. Yeah, I mean, look, take take eight points off City. Let's be fair to everyone. I'm not sure how the league table would would, would then look, and then and ban Manchester United from having fans in the Stratford for their for their next home match. I think that's fair all round, isn't it?
1: I'm sure all my City mates will totally agree with me there. Yeah, yeah. I think if the Super League, one of the big complaints about the Super League was the lack of competition. I think eight points is. Uh... <laughs> Is, uh, would help it, some competition and other competition. Is that is
2: you throwing your hat into the ring there, Andy, for, for replacing Ed Woodward at, at the negotiation table?
1: Yeah, you just go straight
3: in there and say, look, eight points off City. And I, I'm just looking at that. That would mean actually Manchester United would be level with City with six games to play. That'd be exciting. You could sell that. You could double
1: your Sky packages and sell, sell <laughs> them. For- <Yeah. laughs> I wouldn't want to play you at Monopoly. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Thank you so much, viewers, for joining us for this live emergency edition of Talk of the Devils. We discussed the European Super League, the collapse of it, the resignation of Edward Wood, and what possibly could with Manchester United and the Glazer family going forward. Before we wrap up, I understand the tape machines are rolling. I just have enough time to tell you, if you want to enjoy the great works of Laurie for the last 24 hours and beyond, the great works of Andy Mitten and the column I wrote about the Super League, that probably doesn't really matter anymore um you can subscribe to the athletic for a special price of $3.99 for the next six months that's 40% off the price of full subscription There are plenty of articles on the rise and fall of the super league and possibly what happens next if you want to take part and enjoy some of the best football writing around all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash pod to take advantage of the 40% discount that's theathletic.com slash pod. other than that we're going to wrap up and sometime next week we'll release an episode of Talk of Devils that will discuss a game of football <laughs> against Leeds United. Won't that be nice? Right then. Thank you so much, Laurie. You need to get some sleep because
2: you must be... I'm going for a siesta like Andy uh, enjoys every now and again. I wish. <laughs> Never had one in my life. My, my wife
1: has one all the time. But yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, listeners. Thank you for joining us for a special edition of Talk of Devils. We'll see you sometime next week. The Athletic.